Our scripture reading this evening is from 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 14. Verse 14. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. Jordan, it just so happens that one of the most memorable experiences that I had after my wife passed away was a young adult mother who called me one day and said, could we come over and visit? And so she came over with her sister-in-law and the children from those two families. And they sang to me in my home. It was really comforting. It was so encouraging. I loved the visit with those children. Those of you who are parents and have children still at home, they can be a valuable tool in serving in the kingdom. They can have effects, positive effects, that we who are adults cannot. They're a rich blessing. And to encourage them to participate in ministry in that fashion, as Jordan suggested this evening, is a great start to build a life of ministry. What if you were married and you had a good marriage, but that beloved spouse died? Would you want to marry again? Oh, some would say, I'd love to have a second bite of the marital apple. That's such a sweet apple. And yet somebody else who experienced the same wonderful marriage relationship, but had their spouse die, they look at it totally different. I had a great marriage. It was an awesome marriage. I don't really think I'm interested in another marriage. Not everybody who loses their spouse has experienced a good marriage. There are widows and widowers who have tolerated and existed in bad marriages. What if you had had a bad marriage and your spouse died? Would you be among those who would say, there is no way in the world I would want to take a chance on being married again I was burned once, I won't be burned again. Or would you be among the group of widows or widowers who would say, I would love to have a chance to have a good marriage this time. Marriage is a beautiful experience. God displayed his infinite wisdom in a beautiful way in the Garden of Eden when he brought her to him. And he said, whoa, man, and he called her woman. He had to be so impressed. He had sat there on that log probably, and he had named all those critters that they passed by. You know, dog, elephant, mouse. I have no idea why there are mosquitoes, but mosquitoes. And after that parade of animals, 
What was Adam impressed with? He was A-L-O-N-E. He was prepped for the perfect time for him to have a woman brought into his presence. I kind of suspicion it's not like we typically read it in church. She is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman. She was taken out of man. He had to be on cloud nine. He had to be thrilled because now he was living life with somebody else. So that meant all the blessings were magnified and they were more special because he had those blessings to enjoy with somebody else. That magnifies the blessings. And when the burdens come, we have somebody to share those burdens with and help us negotiate the storms that will inevitably come in a broken world. Marriage is a relationship of love, ideally, but the reality is we don't always get to keep our blessings as long as we would like. So sometimes we even lose the most precious human relationship that we could ever have. What in the world are you going to do? Would you think possibly about getting married again? Let me make a confession to you after my wife passed away. I was scared to death about that option because I at least knew enough about grief and the power of grief that it would be really easy for me early on to make a decision that I might regret for the rest of my life. And so don't take it personally, women, but I write about this in that third book I wrote, After the End Comes. I viewed all women as forbidden fruit. Those first couple of years, I knew I just needed to be really, really careful. As a matter of fact, when I decided to start this ministry, I made it a point of dealing with topics that I knew were very practical, that were addressed in the Bible, that could really help people. But there was one topic I ignored for the first few years, and it's this one. I didn't want to go there. I was really gripped with fear about the possibility of making a big mistake. Well, I got over that. I don't feel like that anymore at all. But that was one of the personal struggles that I had after my wife passed away. It's a natural thing to at least think about another marriage. After a divorce, there would be thoughts of another marriage. And then if it was somebody who had died in your marriage, you would naturally think about being married again because we live in a coupled world. And widowed people are misfits, social misfits in a coupled world. It's natural to be thinking about this. So when I finally decided that I would delve into this and would have to add this to the Living with Loss workshop, I started emailing people that I knew and I wanna share with you an email from a lady who was married for 23 years whose husband died the month before my wife died she was married for 23 years. They had a 13-year-old daughter and a 16-year-old daughter. And one Sunday morning, Diane was preparing breakfast and she sent her 13-year-old daughter down to the basement to get her dad 
And that 13-year-old daughter found her father dead on the floor. And this is two and a half years after Gary died that she shared this with me. First of all, it scares me to think about this whole thing of dating and starting over again. I'm not sure if I can love someone again like I loved Gary. I'm very lonely. I miss his companionship every day. We talked about it before that if something were to happen to one of us, we would want the other to remarry. It was easy to say that and talk about it when he was here, but it's much more difficult to talk about now. I would like to be able to love again. I'm not sure that my heart is ready or is able to handle that again. It also scares me. Because I know that if I get remarried, that if my spouse dies before me again, I don't want to have to go through the pain of losing a spouse again. I don't know if I could do it again or not. Have you ever thought about what goes through the mind and the heart of widowed people after they've lost their spouse? About male-female relationships. Brother Travis Irwin who's now passed on to his reward, was a good friend of mine for many decades. When I sent him out an email, he sent me this back. My dad died in January of 2013. There was a man at mom's church whose wife died the day before my dad died. He took care of his wife for 12 years. I performed the wedding ceremony of Bob and my mom. Mom is 88 and he is 78. Woo, I'm impressed. I don't know if you are, but I'm impressed. I met Bill and Verl from the Woodson Chapel Church in Nashville, Tennessee. I had the privilege of eating lunch with them Sunday after a workshop was concluded. And when they told me their story, I said, Verl, put it in writing. I can't remember all of that. Bill and Verl were happily married. Bill's wife got ovarian cancer and suffered for over a year. Verl's husband had Parkinson's disease for 10 years. Both were faithful caregivers and kept their spouses at home until their death. And they experienced the grieving that goes with losing a spouse. Neither one of them had any thoughts about remarrying. After 14 years of being alone, Bill's son suggested that he ask Verl out on a date. So here the son is the matchmaker in the story. So finally, after Bill thinks about it for a while, he picks up the phone and he calls Verl. He asks her out on a date. Verl accepts and Bill says, what am I supposed to do now? I haven't done this in years. They start going out on dates. They really enjoy one another's company. They end up getting married. And here, I just love the way she ends this. She said, after dating a while and falling in love, we married. Our lives are so much happier now. God's work can be done together. I was in Medina, Ohio, which is just south of Lake Erie up in the Great Lakes. And I met this lady who had a beautiful story. And I said, oh, please, please send it to me in writing. And she did. She lost her husband in 2012. She'd been married for 38 and a half years. There was this man at uh, the church in Medina who lost his wife in 2013, he was married for 40 years. Now, what's kind of funny about this story is when they were much younger adults, they worshiped at the same church in another state. Now, of course, she was the one that remembered this, and he was clueless about that history. Well, she said, we met 
following Wednesday after Bible study for coffee at McDonald's. She said, I was so nervous, I was shaking. Now, why would a mature woman with nearly 40 years of marital experience and being a member of the church for decades, why in the world would she be nervous sitting in a McDonald's across the table from a brother in the Lord? She had never experienced this before. Have you ever thought about the experiences of a person who's been widowed in a coupled world where there's male and female interaction? Well, he needed to go to Arkansas to visit with family. While he was in Arkansas visiting with family, she gets diagnosed with cancer. She knows what's going to happen. She's going to lose him. There's no hope for the relationship. After he'd been gone for quite a while, he comes back and he finds out that she's been diagnosed with cancer. During the course of the treatments, she loses all of her hair. She pukes her guts out. And that brother in the Lord was with her every step of the way. And they got married. I love how she concludes this email. I never thought I could love someone else and neither did he. There are some great remarriages after horrific loss. Now you probably know where I'm going now. We're going to flip the coin. John and Effie both lost their spouses. They ended up getting married, both of them Christians. After they got married, Effie finds out that he's a control freak, to the point that he would even control the TV shows that she watched. And that pretty much drove her nuts. But she made an until death do us part commitment. And she's struggling with it now. Well, it wasn't much longer after that. She gets diagnosed with dementia. And John says to a common friend of ours, you know what, Sandy? When I got married, I did not get married to take care of a wife. I got married for someone to take care of me. A deacon in the Lord's Church in Maslin, Ohio, said that when his mother-in-law got remarried, after his father-in-law passed away, his wife, her name was Joyce, really didn't like the idea of her mother getting married again. And she had problems with the guy that she married. So any visits they had together were very touchy and very uncomfortable. Now, this deacon in the Lord's church, his name is David. His mother passed away. And when his dad remarried, he said, me and my brother, we really didn't have an issue with my dad dating and, and getting married. He said, the problem that I had when he got married is he married somebody who wasn't a Christian. And now dad's not even attending church as much as he used to. And it's really affected his spiritual life. And then the worst one is a public Facebook post. A sister in the Lord, whose father is a shepherd in the Lord's church. Here's her public Facebook post. 
I don't normally write very personal posts, but because most of my Facebook friends are like family, I would like to tell you about the recent events of my life. I know that some of you are concerned, and I appreciate that more than you know. It is hard to talk to everyone all the time, so maybe this post will answer some questions and elicit some prayers. Please know that this is very difficult for me to write, but I feel I can make everything clear. I'm just ashamed that I made such an impulsive decision. As most of you know, my husband Jim passed away June 2014. It forever changed my life. I was lonely. I should have never married so quickly. I don't want to go into all the details on Facebook, but after several rounds of heartache with this person, I am now divorcing. Being a teacher in a small town lends itself to sometimes some very embarrassing situations. You all know that all I ever wanted was a loving marriage just like many of you have. It can be a great thing. And I know of cases, and I'm sure you do, of folks remarrying. But in many respects, it's just like first marriages. Some of them do not work out very well. But there is a special sensitivity in regard to the issue of when a person who has lost their spouse by death, there's a special complication involved in that life after loss and it's grief. And sometimes what we do when we're struggling in life is we self-medicate. And there are times that sometimes people, when they've lost their mate, self-medicate, thinking that if they get married again, they will be happy again. Because they were happy when they were married the first time. So if I get to be a wife or a husband again, then I'll be happy again. No, not necessarily. Research shows that over half of the remarriages within the first two years of widowhood end in divorce. U.S. Census Bureau. That shocked me when I ran across that statistic because me being naive, my thinking is, that if two people have had marital experience, that's of great value to help them to transition into a second marriage. But what happens sometimes is they're not really prepared to marry a second time because they haven't dealt with the issue of the reality of them needing to find rightness in their life with their loss. The Bible definitely gives a person the right to remarry after they've lost their mate. If that mate dies, there's liberty. Romans 7 talks about released or free. And you're just as much in the right, marrying again, as when you married the very first time. But there's this phrase at the end of that verse, only in the Lord. Now, some people, when they see that phrase, think it always refers to the person being in the Lord, a Christian. But there is another way of looking at that, that phrase. Let me read to you a section out of the Denton, Texas Lectures, 1982, James Meadows, as he writes about this subject. 
The phrase in the Lord is adverbial and indicates the sphere in which the action is done. In other words, it's not modifying the person that's being married, but it's actually modifying the action, the marrying process. Paul's language would indicate that widows are free to marry anyone they choose, whether Christian or not, so long as they do not violate the teachings of Christ about marriage. Philip's translation of this verse reads, A woman is bound to her husband while he is alive, but if he dies, she is free to remarry whom she likes, but let her be guided by the Lord. The reality is, and this is a harsh truth in our very liberal culture, not everyone has a right to be married to just anyone. Remember why John the baptizer got his head chopped off? He had the gall, he had the guts to tell Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And you know that discussion at the well with Jesus? Go back and get your husband. She had five husbands in her life, history. And Jesus said, the one that you have is not your husband. Sometimes people can, in their perspective, maybe even in the laws of their culture, think they have a spouse, when in reality, they don't. Which does it mean? Does it mean you have to marry a Christian? Or you need to honor the will of the Lord regarding who is eligible to be married? I wouldn't stake my soul's welfare on either position. As a matter of fact, what I think is the wise thing to do is honor both. Marry somebody who's a Christian and make sure that they have a right to be married to you and you have a right to be married again. It can be a very complicated thing, this marrying again, especially after the loss of marriage by divorce or the loss of marriage by death. There is a mourning process. There is a grief journey that we need to experience for us to get to a better place, to be healed adequately so that we're a good prospect to be married to and that person that we're marrying is a good prospect to be married to. I like Randy Pope's book. I love the title of the book. Finding Your Million Dollar Mate. Now that's not find the woman or man who has a million dollars. Okay, he's talking about finding the very best person you possibly could. And it's a brief book. It's a very good book. It's a very practical read. I would encourage you if you have children who are trending in that uh, direction, because of their age, they're in that phase of life, it'd be a good book to read. I'll tell you another good book to read is Gary Chapman's book. And I'm not talking about the five love languages. That's a great book. But here all this time that I have read about Gary Chapman, I always thought they had the ideal marriage. And then that perception got blown up in a bookstore in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. When I see this book recently written by Gary Chapman, and here's the title. Things I Wish I Knew Before We Got Married. And in that book, he talks about the rough road that they hoed when they were struggling early on in their marriage. 
I love the, the best chapter in that book. Now remember the title of the book, Things I Wish I'd Known Before We Got Married. Chapter six, that toilets are not self-cleaning. It's the chapter about household chores and expectations about household chores. In other words, we need to be prepping ourselves to be the kind of person that would be good to be married to. And we need to be finding a person who would be good for us to marry. But sometimes we think that we're going to become a better person because we get married. As if a relationship with another human being is going to make us a better person. When the reality is, whatever brokenness we have in our life, when we marry that other person, we're bringing that brokenness into the relationship, and we should not expect that relationship to heal our brokenness. That's putting way too much weight on that relationship. Therefore, I desire that younger women marry, bear children, manage the house. By the way, fellas, underline that phrase, manage the house. You may be the head of the house, but right there is the identification for the manager of the household. If she wants some crazy colored room, make a visit to Home Depot and get that color. Not only is it permitted, but for younger widows, the Bible even encourages it. Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 11, is a familiar passage. I have often been asked... And uh, I don't know why in the world people would do this and put me on the spot. Well, if it's true that you have to mourn that previous relationship and be in a better place to marry again and have a higher rate of success in that marriage, then how long do I have to wait? I know what they're wanting a number. They're wanting how many months or maybe at worst, how many years? I don't know. I can't answer that question. But I now have found a way to answer that question without numbers. And it's right here in this passage. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere. And in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Sometimes that verse 13 is lifted out of context as if it were some sort of universal statement when it has a context. When the Apostle Paul is saying, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, the context is talking about finding contentment in life. In other words, he's saying, no matter what my life circumstances are, really good or really bad, I can be content. It has nothing to do with my circumstances. It has everything to do with my relationship with Jesus Christ and the strength and the wisdom and the courage that I have with my relationship with Jesus. That's what he's talking about. So when these people now come to me and they say, okay, you're the remarrying guru. I've been with it for 10 years and not remarried. How could I be a guru? How long do I have to wait? I just say, here's my suggestion. How about you struggle with your difficult circumstances? The tough nature of the grief journey. 
And you seek the Lord with a passion and seek intimacy with him. And you get to the point where even though you're widowed, you're content. I want you to look at this verse up here. And I'm going to throw a few words in here and ask you to think about this. It says, I have learned in whatever, by the way, did you notice it's another thing that has to be learned, like waiting on the Lord, you know, teach me, Lord, to wait. We're not born with it. We can't get a pill for it. I have learned in whatever state. Now, that's not talking about Texas or Ohio or Missouri. Okay, it's talking about circumstances in life. I have learned in whatever physical state I am to be content. Can a cancer patient be content? Through Jesus Christ, who strengthens me, yes. I have learned in whatever financial state can a person impoverished find contentment? Yes, through Jesus Christ, who strengthens us. Let's plug in another word. I have learned in whatever marital state I'm in to be content. If my contentment in life hangs on anything else than Jesus Christ, we have a problem. Houston, we have a problem. Because the circumstances of life are not always going to be good. They're going to be harsh, brutal, sometimes callous, unbelievably, incredibly painful. We should not hang our contentment, build our contentment on anything that has to do with a life circumstance in a temporary world. Our contentment can be solidly built on Jesus Christ because he strengthens us. It took me about three or four years to get to that point. Because you know what? I'll tell you about what I think about widowhood. I hate widowhood. And I mean that literally. I hate that marital state. I'm not saying I hate my life because that's not my life. My life is as a creature of God existing in his image. His child. That's my identity. That's my life. I've got some things in my story that are not very positive and pleasant. As a matter of fact, downright ugly. But the fact is, we can find contentment in our life no matter what. Heartbroken because of that other person deciding to walk away. Divorce. Heartbreaking. Tremendous grief after that. Please, let's recognize that. Just like those folks who have lost their marriage by death. We need to work on our relationship with the Lord so that our contentment hinges solely on that relationship. Like I said, it took a good while for me. I admit that I'm a slow learner. I have found contentment. That doesn't mean I love widowhood. 
because I hate it. It's just a part of my story. I hate it like a cancer patient hates cancer. Or an ALS patient hates that neurological disease. But we can find contentment because that's how great the blessing of having a relationship with Jesus Christ is. We can find contentment through Him. Godliness with contentment is a great gain. We're not about our prosperity or our adversity. We're not about our loss. We're not about our age. We're not about the color of our skin. Our identity and our value is our relationship with God as His creation and as His redeemed children. What should be considered before marriage? If you've never yet been married or you're divorced or you're widowed, listen real carefully. And if you're married, remember the only way that a good marriage ends is death. There are a lot of ways bad marriages end. There's only one way good marriages end, and that's death. If a person's going to get married, what should they consider? Well, there are facts and myths. Make sure you don't build your relationship, your marriage, on a myth. Bill and Lynn Hybels wrote a book that I used for premarital counseling for many years. And they suggested in one chapter, there are a lot of myths that people buy into. Let's assume we get, we get two people up here. And the girl that's getting married, she has an eating disorder. She has a brokenness in that she has an eating disorder. Now, when she says, I do, is she no longer going to have that brokenness? Is it going to disappear because she's married? No. What if he pretty much lives like a bum, you know, throws his dirty clothes all over the floor, doesn't really clean up after himself well, but then he says, I do. Is he going to change his ways? Well, his wife might work on him for a few years and try, but just because he said, I do, is not going to miraculously change him. Have you ever met a married person that was unhappy? Marriage doesn't ensure your happiness, does it? There are so many things that we need to be careful about, and sometimes the most lonely people in the world are people who are married, stuck in a bad marriage. Let me share with you a quote out of that book. I can quote it word for word. I think it's the most powerful and beneficial statement in that book. Quote, the most miserable people in the world are not single people who want to be married, but married people who realize their marriage is a mistake. We need to be careful about who we choose to marry. And we need to be careful that we have prepped ourselves for that lifetime commitment. Second marriages have a higher rate of failure than do first marriages. The divorce rate for first marriages is somewhere between 35 to 50 percent, but for second marriages it's estimated to be as high as 65 percent. We need to prep ourselves. We need to make sure that other person is prepped. We may not be able to eliminate risks in marriage. We can't. But what we can do is carefully try to reduce them. The most valuable, most important thing for a married couple 
is spiritual compatibility. You want to help me find a wife? You know, it's been over 10 years now for me. You want to help me find a wife? Let me tell you who I want you to find for me. I want you to find for me somebody who loves somebody else more than me. He's called Jesus. Somebody who loves the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. Because that's the only kind of person I ever want to strive to be myself. I'm not talking here about two people going to the same church. I'm not talking about two people who both have a baptismal certificate. I'm talking about two people who share a passion for God and who want to seek intimacy with Him. When you have two people like that, no matter what the age difference is, no matter what socioeconomic differences there might be, no matter how many struggles they might deal with, they have the best quality to help them navigate every storm in their marital life, and they will experience storm. You know, H. Norman Wright, a counselor, faith-based fellow who wrote a lot of books, produced a lot of videos, he made this observation. He said, marriage is a call to suffer. Oh, man, when I read that, I thought, "Woo, that's harsh. Now, what he was trying to point out in that particular paragraph is that, look, it's not going to be peaches and cream all the time. There are going to be stresses and troubles and friction. It's going to happen in a broken world with human beings. We need to realize that spiritual compatibility gives that couple the foundation upon which to build a great relationship and a blueprint to help them navigate every storm that they experience in life. But before you seek a person who has that characteristic, make sure that you have that characteristic first. Loving God more than anybody else or anything else. Now we need to take time because time gives us an opportunity to get to know people. Whenever we begin relationships, we always put the best foot forward. But after a while, what do you start seeing? You start experiencing all kinds of different things and you begin to see how they react when they're ticked off, when they're upset. You start seeing how they manage money. You start seeing how they handle tension in human relationships. Time is the acid test of a relationship. So valuable, so important, we need to give ourselves time. How much time? I don't know, that's up to you. But that's the way we get to know people. If you were not at the workshop yesterday, I can give you an explanation about what life is in three words. It's people, relationships, and experiences. That's life. And having experiences with people over time gives you insight into who that person really is. Family blending is involved. That person that you might help me find is going to have to pass 11 tests. Now, it's pass-fail. It's not like she has to get 90%, okay? But I have three daughters. I have three sons-in-law. I have five grandchildren. Personally, I am not going to choose to marry anybody that would cause me to have a more distant relationship with the people I most love on planet Earth. Now, I will admit to you there are some widows and widowers who don't feel that way. 
I've heard of people who are widowed who say, my children don't have a say in this. This is my life, and I'm going to do what I want to do. Every time I hear a widowed person say that, I think, what if your kids felt that way when they were choosing to marry? I don't know, maybe your kids were that way, and that's the way you're responding to the way they were and how you experienced that with them. There needs to be time for family blending and their expectations. You know what my wife had the goal to do after we got married? We got hitched in New Philadelphia, Ohio. And uh, about four o'clock in the afternoon, we started heading south to go to Henderson, Tennessee, where I was going to enter my sophomore year at Fried Hardeman. And um, we lived in a little trailer, $75 a month in Henderson, Tennessee. And early on, she got out a can of Campbell's pork and beans. And she opened that can and she poured the contents into a bowl. I was aghast. My mother would have never done that. She heated the pork and beans before she put them in the bowl. See, my expectation was based on my experience. And especially, think about how does a boy learn to be a husband? How does a girl learn to be a wife? Observing their parents. And then if you have a marriage in your history, you're going to have some expectations because you've had some experience in another marriage. But this is going to be a totally different marriage. It's not going to be the same marriage because you're not the same person because you've suffered loss and you're not marrying the person that you used to be married to. We need to talk about the expectations, their health and sexual issues. Let me tell you about a very romantic couple of dates that we're going to have with this woman. We're going to go to a Walmart. We're going to get a Zebco rod and reel and some tackle. And we're going to wrap it up in real nice gift wrap. And we're going to go to my doctor. And we're going to give him that as a gift because we're going to sit and listen to him telling us about my health. See how romantic this is? And then we'll go and get some candy and flowers and we'll go to her doctor. And we'll give that candy and flowers to her doctor and we'll ask her doctor to tell us about her health. Do you ever think somebody has gotten married to somebody and they didn't know about the health of that person, the health history of that person? If you've never met anybody like that, give me your number. I'll get you in contact with a few. It happens. Transparency creates intimacy. If we want intimacy in relationships, we need to be transparent. Before we get married, either a first time or a second time or a third time, we need to be transparent going into it. One of the great hurdles that have to be overcome is dealing with the complication of finances. Will one of the two people lose their Social Security if they were drawing Social Security because their spouse passed? And what about the plans in regard to when one of the two dies in that second marriage? Let's assume this woman that you find for me is a millionaire. Really, that's kind of a low bar nowadays. But anyway, let's assume that this woman you find for me is a millionaire. Now, I'm going to throw into the mix that she has, to, 
She has four boys. That's not a necessity, but for the sake of illustration. Okay, she's a millionaire and she has three boys. We get married and she dies first. Are her three boys going to have to give half of their one third to my daughters? Let's say we get married and I die first. I've been a preacher all my life and I leave behind a dollar and 50 cents. Are my daughters going to have to give her boys each a quarter? This is one of the most difficult hurdles to get over. And to get married without thinking about this and working with this with financial planners or lawyers can be prepping yourself for tremendous marital and family tension. And I can't believe the word prenup is up there. I feel a little bit almost guilty putting that up there. I have said for years since we came up with that cockamamie notion that this is programming marriages for failure. But when you have some greedy adult children who are concerned about their inheritance, which is not really their inheritance until their parent dies, maybe to cool their jets, you might think about a prenuptial agreement to make them a little bit more accepting in regard to another marriage. Where are we going to live? Are we going to both sell and buy another house? Are we going to keep both houses? What are we going to do about that? The time to talk about that and work all of that out is before we get married. The whole point of what I'm suggesting is all human relationships are a risk. Have you ever thought about when you became a Christian, the risk that was involved in that? Because you're born into a family of God with a lot of broken people. Jesus even talked about if your brother sins against you, See, even we Christians, we can sin against one another. Human relationships, there's risk factors. But we embrace the relationships because of the potential reward. But we need to realize that though there are risks, we can't eliminate the risks, but we can carefully lower the risks, especially when it comes to a lifetime relationship, or at least make it a point to talk about the potential risks before we ever commit ourselves to a lifetime relationship. Remarriage at midlife or later is somewhat like the merger of two major corporations. Remember Sprint and T-Mobile? They spent a lot of time and a lot of money before those two merged, and for good reason. It's pretty complicated. So when it comes to marriages in midlife or later, we need to make sure that we're making a wise decision and do a lot of study ahead of time. I don't know of any blessing that's any more precious than being married. I enjoyed that for 41 years. I hate having lost it. Would love to have it again. Boy, what a precious blessing when you're the right person and you're married to the right person. If you're married, cherish the blessing. It's not going to be forever. It's for this life. You know, when Kylie became a Christian this morning and we watched her be baptized into Jesus, it was like her spiritual marriage ceremony, married to the Lord. She's beginning her walk with the Lord today. God bless her. If you need to begin that walk with the Lord today, we're going to encourage you to make it a point to do that, to come to Jesus, to come to the only one who can save you. 
redeem you, give you a full and meaningful life, one who is preparing for you a place, that's an eternal blessing. If you need to confess the name of Jesus, turn away from sin and turn to God and become a Christian, be baptized into Christ, please feel free to come. And if you have some form of brokenness that you'd like to share with others, feel free to respond. We'd love to be able to help you. It's okay to not be okay. And it's even okay to let other people know you're a mess. It's when they know you're a mess that God, through them, can sometimes help you the best. You come if you need to while we stand and while we sing.